Well, church, we're in our last of our series. We've been doing a series called You Asked For It. And this, what the series is about is where, where you get to ask, ask or pose a question for us to respond with. And since January, we've been responding to all these, uh, these questions. If you missed any of it, you can go back, go to our, our YouTube page, listen to it on, on, on uh, Apple Podcasts or um, SoundCloud Find us there. We've answered questions like the authenticity of the Bible. How do we know the Bible we have is what the disciples are reading? You know, all these different translations. You know, which translations can we trust? Uh, we responded to that. With divorce in the church. We responded to that. Dreams. A question about dreams. What does it mean by dreams? And then last week was the uh, woke ideology and apostasy in the church, which was very interesting. Go back and have a listen to that. So today we've got a panel. And the panel, we're going to respond to all these other questions we never really got around to. So I'm going to uh, I'd like to ask uh, uh, Mike Cook to come up. And Mike Cook is part of our eldership team. He's been out of our church for many years, but he's also part of Creation Ministries, a keynote speaker. And quite often, you might, you might not see him on Sundays because he's speaking at various churches. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, have a seat. And then we've got... Um, Invite Pastor PJ up. Pastor PJ is what as pastor care pastor to come on up and, and join us. And uh, what's for some of you, this is your first time here. It's a little interesting fact. Did you know that Pastor PJ? She used to lead a church senior pastor title at Elam. She was the very first uh, a woman senior pastor in the Elam Church. We had woman pastors, but we, uh, she was the very first senior pastor. So that's PJ. She pioneered way back then, and so here we have. So, so I like to surround myself with much wiser people, so it's so good to have you here. So, <laughs> And that's why men get married. Okay, anyway, let's... Uh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, okay, so we're going to respond to some of the questions, and this is the question that, that, that someone here has asked, and I like to say respond because... I don't like saying here are the answers because um, we don't have all the answers, but we can faithfully respond as what we, when we study scripture, we can be faithful in what we say. And this is our response to some of the questions. So here is a question someone asked and posed, and it starts like this Different gifts God gives us. Why some receive tongues, it's speaking in tongues, and while some don't. Different gifts God gives us, while some receive tongues, that's speaking in tongues, while some don't. Don't turn to the person next to you and say, "Did you ask this question?" I just can Here we go. Here we go. So I'm going to ask um, Pastor PJ to respond to this question. All right, about gifts. Um, the Bible talks about that not to be ignorant about the gifts. I remember my time when uh, I was made aware that God had gifts, and I said, "No, no, that can't be." No, she said, um, "You need to read the Bible, PJ." So <laughs> that was the first time it was quite some years ago, that I read about that God's got gifts. And the gifts that God gives us, uh, they all come from the same God. It's not like it is from one spirit, and from that one spirit, God distributes all these different gifts. And they're very diverse. It is from leading to serving to miracles to prophecy to, well, whatever, 24 of them, as I can gather. And you can find them in 1 Corinthians 12, you can find them in Romans 12, and you can find them in Ephesians 4. And if you still not know uh, what all the gifts are or how God has uh, distributed gifts to you, then I encourage you to do growth track soon uh, because that's, uh, we learn all about the gifts. So um, they come from the same spirit, 
And it is actually God who distributes the gift to each and every one of us. It is like uh, as he wills, it says, or how he permits us to, to give it to us. And sometimes we, you know, we want this thing or we want that gift or I've done that. I like what she's having. Can I have that? But God distributes what is the best for you. And, and usually it goes with the calling and the purpose that God has for you. Um, so that is about that. And gifts are for the common good. It is to help others. It's not like, oh gosh, I'm just so important because I've got this beautiful gift of miracles, of healing or faith or whatever. It is actually the gift is given to you to help others, to build others up or to build the church up. And so um, when you've got a gift, you've got a responsibility to share it. So that brings me to the gift of tongues, which is, uh, which is one of the gifts. And it was most obvious when Jesus talked about the Great Commission, when we heard about it, that uh, there will be new tongues and also other things. But that was the first thing when Jesus talked about tongues. And then the Holy Spirit in Acts uh, was poured out, and we can read that all of those uh, were speaking in tongues. It was like a, a sign that the Holy Spirit was poured out and they were speaking in tongues. And obviously that was quite a phenomenon because nobody else not, has never happened before in that way. And then we read on other times when there is an outpouring of the Spirit that uh, the signs are uh, speaking in tongues or by laying on of hands. So the question is, do all believers, do they speak in tongues? And no, not every believer, not from my experience, but also when I read from the Bible, um, where it says in 1 Corinthians 14, are, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, and do all interpret it? No. But earnestly decide the best gifts, and yet I'll show you the most excellent way, which is love. So, um, saying about speaking in tongues, I love my gift of speaking in tongues, and, um, and when you have it, it's, it's beautiful, it's useful. Uh, when you have a situation, you don't know what to do, and I just pray in tongues. Uh, sometimes I pray in tongues in a car, and then, oh, oh, holy, I need to watch the road, because I just... <laughs> <laughs> I just but speaking in tongues is very valuable for us personally. It is a gift to us that is personal. Because without, if you speak in tongues and there is no interpretation, it has no use or no meaning because people don't know what you're saying. Only God knows what you are saying because you, your spirits speak to God. So um, it's a very personal gift. And I find that all the other gifts that are more profitable for others. But speaking in tongues, if you have no interpretation or there is no interpretation available, then, um, then speaking in tongues has no meaning. And especially when you have unbelievers, they think you are a bit, a bit crazy. Uh, so it is for believers speaking in tongues. I love speaking in tongues. I love my gift. Uh, I've got a few languages in speaking in tongues, not just one, but a few. But um, do all speak in tongues? No. Do I know why? No, because I'm not the boss. <laughs> God is the boss, and he distributes as he wills. 
Amen. Mike, you get one in comments? Thank you, PJ. As you, as you know, of course, we're a Pentecostal church. We're part of um, you know, a stream of Pentecostalism, and that's marked by the signs of the Holy Spirit. So we absolutely believe that God you know, poured out his Holy Spirit, and that those gifts, as PJ talked about, are available for all believers, and we're to earnestly seek them, aren't we? And the gift of tongues is one that's a special one where you edify your own spirit before God. And it is about communication, isn't it? And I think the whole thing, obviously talking to God, but most of the gifts, all the gifts are there to build up the body of Christ as well. And for me, um, communicating, God communicates with us through his word and through a whole range of things. And uh, we communicate back to God in prayer and tongues or whatever. But also when we speak with other people, we speak, but also people need to understand what we say. And I'm always um, inspired by the accounts in Acts chapter 2, where obviously the gift of tongues came upon all the believers in the upper room. But once the disciples came out full of the Holy Spirit and started preaching, you know, I, I assume they were just speaking in their own language, but all the hearers heard in their own language. And so here's Peter prof, um, speaking out with boldness. And it says here, the multitudes came together, they were bewildered because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So obviously one speaking, but many hearers, isn't it? So tongues works the other way too. God can ins uh, divinely inspire the hearer to hear in their own language, and that's how he communicates the gospel as well. So it's two ways, isn't it? We speak out in tongues or speak in English, or, and also people hear, and that can be a spiritual enlightenment that they understand. So God wants us to understand and to love him, communicate with him, but bless others. Mm. Amen. And that's it. And that, so that's, there's only so tongues. There's two types of tongues in the Bible: speaking in another language. And you, there's so many testimonies of people just speaking in this language. They, they just thought they're just saying some words, and someone understands it. That, and then the other one is a, is, a, is a spiritual language that no one understands, but it's just for you. And you know, I, I love speaking in tongues. It's one of my favorite things to do. And uh, um, and especially like when I go somewhere and I, and you know, back something, my hair stands on the back of my neck, and I'm like, I just start speaking in tongues. You're like, and it's just. It just gives me peace, and um, uh, or if I'm finished putting a word together, I start praying, and I just can't help but pray in tongues. Um, but again, it's it's it's. Um, does everyone speak tongues? No. Uh, but like the Apostle Paul, he says, "I wish everyone could speak in tongues like I do." No one speaks in tongues more than I do, and I wish you all could, because uh, it's such a great gift. But it's okay. But it's okay. There's, there used to be this kind of um, in some Pentecostal churches, like if you don't speak in, in tongues, you're not filled by the Holy Spirit. Well, that, there's no scripture in the Bible that says that. So, uh, no, so, if you, so speaking in tongues is not the only evidence of being filled by the Spirit. There's no scripture. Yes, there's lots of signs that follow that, but it's, the Bible does not say that. Okay, so don't want to make that clear. Speaking in tongues is not a sign you're being filled by the Spirit. You can be filled by the Spirit and not speak in tongues. Yeah. And that's all I've got to say about that. Yeah. Here we go. Let's go to the second question. And um, this is a question that gets asked from time to time. And here we go. Jesus, brothers and sisters, you know, one, did Jesus have brothers and sisters? Yeah. And how were they connected to Jesus' ministry? So Jesus, brothers and sisters, so I'm going to um, ask Mike if you can respond to that. Thank you, Ants. Okay, this is again a great question, isn't it? And as you know, we've talked, um, Ants led the series off about can we trust God's word, you know, is it authentic and so on? And so we're all answering the questions based on not our own ideas, we want to uh, and our desire is to really back up all our answers with what Scripture actually says. So we keep coming back to what does the Bible actually say? We have all sorts of ideas that can be around the outside, but no, what does the Bible actually say? And this is a great example of, of that. So there's different ideas about Jesus. Now, obviously, he, Scripture says he was born of the Virgin Mary. You know, she, he was conceived supernaturally and born. Um, but it also talks about her husband, Joseph, and it says he did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. In other words, no is the 
PC term for had sexual relations, you know, which is a natural part of marriage. And so the assumption would be, of course, there would be other siblings coming from that marriage. And Scripture does talk about Jesus having brothers and sisters in Scripture, and four of them are named in Matthew 13, 55 and 56. It talks about James, Joseph, Simon and Judas. They were his named brothers and they were sisters, but they're not named or numbered. And so the plain reading of Scripture would be that, yes, they were Jesus' half-brothers and sisters, common mother and of course Joseph was the father of the other siblings God was the father of Jesus uh, some people say well maybe the the others were um, from Matthew's former um, marriage or something you know but there's Joseph, nothing in scripture out of about that here those steps you know the clear reading of scripture is that they were blood relatives of Jesus and it's clear in John uh, 7 and other places in scripture that his siblings doubted that he was the Messiah you know for many years they said who is this you know Many people who grew up with him said, oh, he, he's just, we know him, he's been with us for years. And here he is, he says he's the son of God, he's the Messiah. They doubted for many years. But once Jesus had died and then especially had risen from the dead, then it's clear they then became ardent believers. And it talks about the day of Pentecost, the disciples were meeting in the upper room, including Jesus' brothers, and we assume sisters as well. You know, they were right in there, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were full-on believers. And then it goes on through... Uh, the New Testament, talking about different, especially James, talking about the, the brother of Jesus as the, one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And in Galatians 1, 18, 19, Paul affirms that Jesus, the brother of, sorry, James, the brother of Jesus, was one of the senior leaders in the church. And he also authored the book of James we have in the Bible. And also the book of Jude, many believe that that was Jude, Judas, you know, Jesus' brother, shortened to Jude, who was also the author of the book of Jude. And so, yes, the answer is Jesus had brothers and sisters. They were very supportive of his ministry after he had risen from the dead, especially. And they went on, some of them, to martyrs' deaths. But they were full-on believers, so they were very involved in carrying on his ministry and building the church. It just shows us that uh, Jesus' brothers, you know, they were his brothers, they were family, that they also had to go through the journey that most of us have been through. We know of Jesus, but we all need to come or want to come to that place to accept Jesus as our personal savior. And so that is the same journey that his brothers and his family uh, have done. Uh, and so they recognize that although Jesus was their brother, but he was also Jesus, the son of God. And obviously that was quite a I can only imagine quite a journey for them to accept Jesus as the Son of God, and they did. Uh, and that has a, we can, maybe some of us, we can relate to it. We know of our, have known about Jesus for a long time, but till we come a place, we recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, and we believe in him. Amen. And just a clip, and again, just reinforce, uh, re Totoko, what everyone said over here, is um, that so Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. After Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary continued or entered into a, a marital relations. And don't let your own no, don't let your imaginary go, imagination go. Anyway, so that's what happened. So he was born of the Virgin Mary. After the, after the fact, they entered into normal marital relationships. There we go. Can you imagine if uh, Mary said, no, no, Joseph, I'm going to stay like, you know, anyway. Don't imagine that. Let's move on, shall we? <laughs> okay. Now that is question number three. This is a question we get whenever we do this series. You ask for it. We do have done this a number for over a number of years. We always, always, always get asked this question. And in 2019, I 
we did a whole session on a whole Sunday on this. And so this is the question that we just thought we'd just bring to the panel. This is the question. What about end times? Yeah, that's right. The end time question. What about end times and the second coming? So Mike, you want to launch, launch into that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the old joke about Jesus is coming look busy, isn't it? You know, but no, it's, it's, seriously, though, this is an important question, isn't it? And of course, end times are very popular, and there's been heaps of books and prophecies and people looking towards that time or maybe fearing it or whatever. So it's very much something we need to be aware of and not shy away from. So um, again, I'm not giving you answers. We're giving you things to think about. And again, Pastor Ants has done some great teaching on the end times and uh, the signs we have in Scripture. So the key things I think I want to just um, go through this morning is there's a whole range of things in Scripture talking about the end times, but particularly Matthew 24 and Mark 13 goes into quite detail, a whole chapter about these, the signs of the end times, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then the end shall come, and it's, uh, it's quite a detailed list. But if you look at the, the two sections of signs that indicate the coming of Jesus in the end times, the end of the age and the second coming, there's a range of them uh, in the early part of Matthew 24, and it talks about false Christs arising, you know, I'm the Messiah and that sort of thing. And also, we see things like wars, famines, earthquakes, and you know, they're all very much part of our day and age, aren't they? But they've also been common right through history. There's always been wars, and there's been famines, and there's been earthquakes, and disasters, and all sorts of people popping up and saying they're the Messiah. But, so they are important signs, but they're not unique really to our day and age, our 21st century or 20th century. But there are some ones spoken in those scriptures which are, I think, are clearly a lot more uh, specific to our era. It's never been, it's unprecedented, so to speak, it's a buzzword these days, unprecedented, the following signs. One of them, is, of course, is false prophets. It talks about uh, the false prophets. You think of how many cults, gurus, ideologies, ethos is right around the world. That is everywhere, aren't they? All these different streams of thoughts from UFOs and aliens to New Age stuff to different religions. There's so many ideas out there of these false prophets saying this is the truth, this is the truth, there is no truth, etc. That's unprecedented in our day and age, I think, uh, like no other time in history. We also have um, you know, widespread lawlessness, don't we, especially in the Western world. We see, turn our news on, we see all around the world lawlessness, rioting, um, you know, rising up against governments and so on, right across the world. And we see also a loss of love for God and belief in God, especially in the Western world. You know, people like the New Atheist, Richard Dawkins and so on, popularizing the God delusion, other books. So we have this attack on the truth of the Bible and the character of Jesus, and we see lawlessness rising. Now, that seems to be accelerating and rampant in our world today. Another sign. And we also, though, excitingly see that the gospel will be uh, proclaimed globally. And again, the gospel over the years has amazing uh, history, how it's transformed cultures right around the world, right through history. But you think of it even in the last 20, 30 years, how the gospel has exploded. You know, even 20 years ago, you had to smuggle Bibles into China or into Eastern Europe in the 80s. Now, the internet, USB sticks, satellites, the gospel can be freely picked up and seen right around the world, can't it? So I think the acceleration of the gospel being preached, and we see exciting growth of the church in places like Iran, Afghanistan, Eastern Europe, Africa, you know, all around the world. The church is growing, isn't it? The gospel is being preached. And that's another sign that could never have happened to the level it has without the technology we have today. There's also a couple of other ones. One is um, Isaiah 66, verse 8, talks about can a nation be born in a day? Well, the whole nation of Israel, 2,000 years of being in dispersion right around the world. And on the 14th of May, 1948, 
the nation, modern nation of Israel was reborn um, in the land and that are the ashes of the Holocaust. In one day, the declaration of a new nation and also the language, the Hebrew language that had been dead for a decade, millennia, was brought back and it's now the day-to-day -day language for that nation. So yes, there's lots of controversy, there's ups and downs, there's people who let the side down, but there's a supernatural specialness about the resurrection of the um, people of God in their land in the modern era. That's unique. And also I think Daniel talks about in the end times, you know, seal up the book until the last days, and talks there about um, people shall run to and fro and knowledge shall greatly increase. When you think about our modern era, the modern travel, you know, years ago you got on a sailing ship and you went off, now we can be on a plane 24 hours, be anywhere around the world. And unless, the internet and knowledge. Uh, unless the airport's flooded. Unless the airport's flooded, yeah, or this COVID, yeah, I know. But, <laughs> but the principle, it's unique how easily people can travel. And you think about Google, just type in any question. So our corporate knowledge has exploded like no other time in history, isn't it? So there are two signs, I think, that are unique to our time. So the take-home thing is these are signs. Hold them lightly, look at them. The key things are, though, uh, is that the key thing is that Jesus is coming back. We can be sure he will return. That's the hope we have. He's promised he will return in his own time and when God knows. Okay, we don't know exactly the day and the hour. And anyone who says, on the 23rd of October, blah, 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 okay, you can immediately go beep, cancel, you know, the big red button. That's not, nobody knows the hour and the day. And there's so many people make the money and, you know, do all that sort of thing, write the books and make the movies. We don't know. So don't go down that track of specifically saying this day and time. But yes, the signs in the era we can be alert to. Uh, also, we were to be ready and expectant, not fearing, but looking forward to Jesus' return. And never hunker in your bunker. You know, hear people, oh, Jesus is coming back. We better sell everything, get our cans of food and our generators and go into the woods. And yeah. No, we're here to live and to, to bless people, to share, uh, have the faith that we have and share the gospel and the hope we have, not to isolate and disconnect and beam me up, Lord, I'm out of here. That's not biblical. It's not loving. So be encouraged, be excited, be aware. Way mm. and don't major on it, I would say. Because if you major on the end times, everything what you hear and see, it all feeds in. Mm. And then you live it in such a way in fear and anxiety. And I've seen it many times that uh, because the end times are fascinating and interesting, mm. um, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, even in those times. Although he says that lots of people's heart will fail in, in those times because of what they see and what they hear and not uh, believing that God is able to get them through. So my, I've got a very easy thing. Every day is one day closer than Jesus coming back. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> Um, I think as a new, when you become a new Christian, this is really fascinating because it's I always said very sex, sexy subject uh, end times. And I, I'm like when I first became a Christian, I just want to learn about end times, want to learn about demons and angels. And until uh, a wise Christian, mature Christian, said to me, "Have you tried focusing on Jesus?" And I was thinking, "That's a good point, <laughs> right?" And um, and I understand if you maybe you need to get this out of your system. Um, but there are three main views for end times: premillennialism. Post-millennialism and amillennialism. And within each view are hundreds of other strands within these views. Um, and so these are the three views there. Premillennialism is the most common view. It's probably when I first became a Christian, this was the view I was taught. And I was taught this is the only view. And this obviously talks about the rapture. That the, the days are getting, getting, bad, getting more worse as we go. And then all the Christians are going to escape the great tribulation. And then uh, they're going to come back, and then there's going to be a thousand year, a literal thousand year 
peace and then the devil's going to be released and there's one more final battle then judgment day. That's just your most, and there's so many other views around that. That's premillennialism. And then there's postmillennialism, which is the opposite. It's like it's, the days are going to get better. Right? We look on the news, everything's getting better, all right? Anyway, it's going to get better, 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 and then there's going to be a thousand-year millennial, then judgment day. And then there's amillennialism, and it just views that, hey, you know, in Jesus, uh, basically there is, the, millennial, the, the, millenn- the millennium is, is not even a number. Jesus died when he, and rose again, and then when he comes back, he comes, brings back judgment day. Um, unfortunately for the church is that this, the end times is polarize the church thinking of that for some people if you have a different end view to me we can't be friends and, and, um, and sometimes in some churches the, this is their view and every other they see another church as a the heretics that believe in this view here's the thing all these views all have holes in them right they make assumption about they have to fill in the gaps all of these views you have to fill in the gaps so if you have a different end time view to me pardon the pun it's not the end of the world okay <laughs> If you have a different end time view to me, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Let's move on. And I, you know what? And I, and I, and I think it's, it's, we're not meant to. I reckon, I, I really believe the whole end time, the ambigu- ambiguity is on purpose because we're not meant to know, right? What we do know is that Jesus is coming back and we need to tell as many people as possible. That's what we need. Jesus is coming and it's real and it's going to happen. We need to tell people and how serious that is. And that's what we need to do as believers. And, and that's my thoughts. Which one of these th- view, three views do I believe or hold? Well, I'm not going to tell you because it really doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. Which one do you want to believe? Whatever you want. doesn't matter. I don't care. Uh, anyway, that's what I think about that. Anyway. But hey, just go for it. Jesus comes back. Jesus is coming. That's all, we gotta, that's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. Ansel always had a joke, didn't he? He said he's actually a pan-millennialist. <laughs> a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. Yeah, that's right. There <laughs> you go. It'll all pan out. There you go. Fantastic. And uh, here we go. Number four. This is, this is the moment. This is Elliot's question. Here we go. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? Navels. Show us your navel. Elliot, show us your navel. I want to see your navel. Just kidding. Here we go. Mike, would you like to being our creation ministry um, spokesperson? Thank you, thank you, Elliot. This is, this is such an Elliot question, isn't it? Yeah. But it's actually a good one. Again, as I come back to that belaboring, we believe God's word. If we take and the book of Genesis has been real history, and I believe that God created us in His image, as it talks about in Genesis one and two, and we fell in Genesis chapter three. So yeah, if we go back and believe the Bible, then it's clear that Adam and Eve were obviously our original ancestors, our original tipuna, if we use the Maori term. But they were real people, but they were different to us in that they were created supernaturally. And so if we just quickly look at um, Adam's, his creation, Genesis 2 verse 7, it said, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man that he had formed. Okay, so there's Adam. He's been created supernaturally by God and endowed with the, the breath of God. And then a few verses on, we hear about Eve. Obviously, God had a design, you know, for he, both Adam and Eve made in his image, God's image, male and female. So Adam needs a wife. So God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Okay, that's what scripture says. Now, some people go, you've got to be kidding. That's just ridiculous. But I, I believe it. I, I speak it as creation ministries. And, of course, the whole thing about they were created perfect and then they fell. So 
the gospel depends on this as well. So coming back to the question, navels, okay, umbilicus, belly buttons, okay, quick bit of biology, they are a result of being born of a woman, okay? So when you're born, you have the umbilical cord, and the remnant of that is your belly button, okay? So just in case you didn't know where that happened, I can tell you that's the case. Okay, I'm not going to, I think none of us should show our ones at the moment. Okay, but the <laughs> question want is to see though, mine. <laughs> yeah, so clearly the Bible is clear that Adam and Eve were not born of a woman. They were supernaturally created, and therefore they would not have had belly buttons or navels. And if they had, then God would actually be deceiving. He would be telling a lie, wouldn't he? Because they'd have a mark on their body that indicated a, an event that never happened. So I think the scripture didn't say they did not have a belly button, but we can know that if they were created supernaturally, not born, then they would have not had a belly button, okay? But there's a special bonus question, special bonus question for you, Elliot. Do men and women have different numbers of ribs? Do men have one less rib than a woman? Okay? Now, I'm not going to get you to put your hands up. Some people might actually say yes. Well, the answer is clearly no, okay? The answer is no. Okay, both men and women, males and female humans, have 12 pairs of ribs. We have 24 ribs. We have the same number, okay? It is a myth that won't die. Some people take it out, no. Even if Adam obviously had his rib taken out, and God uh, did a supernatural thing there, but the rib is the only body in the human, sorry, the rib is the only bone in the human body that can actually regrow. As long as the periosteum, which is the membrane around the outside, is kept intact, the rib will regrow. And that's often how they do facial reconstruction. If you have a, a major road crash, as happened to a, a colleague of mine, Carl Wheland, he had a major road smash up. His face was badly deformed. They took pieces of rib and rebuilt his face with plastic wow. surgery and the rib keep growing back, so they take more away from him. And, yeah, so the rib is the only uh, bone that can grow back. So if even if Adam didn't have his rib, uh, rib grow back, then he wouldn't have passed on that through his genes. So his children wouldn't have had one less rib, just like an amputee doesn't have children with one less leg, you know, see? So irrespective, it's just not possible for men and women to have different numbers of ribs. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Nothing to add. Uh, this, is why, this is why men love eating ribs. Yeah, spare ribs. Okay, more spare ribs. Here's a, here's a little fun fact for you, though. Um, did you know that in Hebrew, uh, it's not actually, it took, took the rib. It's actually it's not actually in Scripture. What it is, uh, that God took a side, took a side of, of, of Adam. So it's like taking a side of a building, you know, taking the, take, took the side off. And so what God did is, is he split the Adam but the, anyway, uh, let's go to our last question, shall we? Here we go. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Um, this, is, this is actually let's, um, this is actually quite a, a, it's a very important question, actually. Question five. Why, when new people come to church, they still feel lonely? Most churches. Iron sharpens iron. Most people are not willing to be there. Okay, so why, do, why when new people come to church, they still feel lonely? Most churches. Iron sharpens iron, but most people are not willing to be there. This is a question of loneliness, and, and yeah, so this is quite a... Just, so hand over to Pastor PJ to respond. Well, loneliness is rampant in society and in the world, uh, even though we're so connected with social media and Facebook and all of that. But loneliness itself has become much more an issue or a problem than it has ever before because um, people need connection with a person face-to-face. -face. 
a physical connection with a person, when we can read who they are, and we can read their body language. So I'd be oblivious for me to think, or for us to think as a church, that, um, that people in our church are not lonely. I know they are. And, and it happens maybe for all of us at some stage in our lives because of what we're going through or, uh, or we don't feel we can connect to anybody because there's nobody of the same race or ethnicity or who speaks the same language or goes through the same through, things through that we are going through, like divorce or anything like that. So when new people come to church, they, they, they do like... Uh, obviously they come for the sermon and worship and all that, but they also look like, can I fit in, in here, in this group of people? Can, can I belong here? And that is very much a question because they're looking and they're looking at the people similar to them or different to them, but, you know, if a young person comes, they look at any other young people here because they want to connect and, and people want to belong, and people want to make friends. And when you come one Sunday on the Sunday service, that is, we're connecting, but we're not connecting on a deeper level. And it takes time to become friends. Uh, that's why we love you going to connect groups, because that's where a really deep uh, relationships are built and where we can share about our struggles and our difficulties and find that freedom. So, and also to feel safe. Sometimes we don't feel so safe. And so we endeavor as a church, you know, our vision is real love serve. We want to be real. Uh, in saying that, that we certainly haven't got it all together. I haven't. And I know Pastor Ends long enough now, and he hasn't either. <laughs> <laughs> but we want to be real because we're all going through stuff. And um, that we all need to reach out to each other because we all seek that connection. We all want to make friends. We all want to have uh, this, the sense that we belong and we are included into the family. And that's what I love about Elam. It says, you know, uh, we welcome people as family. And, and when we have that, that attitude that we welcome people as family, then anybody can be included. I always say that there's always room for one more. There's always a room for one more family. There's always room for one more. Um, so keep reaching out to people. And, and if you need to, one who needs some help, please find the courage to say, hey, can I have a yarn or whatever. We are, want to be there, but we're not perfect. That's right. Thank you, PJ. It's really important, you know, as you know, our church, our vision, our sort of tagline is real love serves. You often see t-shirts there. And we really, really want to be real. You know, we want to have no masks here, no pedestals, and we really honor Pastor Anson and Potter. You know, they're just really down-to-earth, genuine people. And as a church, we want to be real uh, to all who come in the doors and to show love. And through that love, we serve, you know, whether it's serving within our serve team, whether it's serving the community or serving in missions. So for us, the Real Love Service is not just a, sl a slogan that we chuck out there without thinking it through. It wants to be uh, our ethos as a church. And Pastor PJ, she's amazing, you know, just her heart and her, she's a professional counsellor, but also her desire to see people knitted in and connected here. 
is really important. So, yeah, we're not perfect. We're not the perfect church. We have let the side down. We have dropped the ball. But our encouragement will be, and I was just really honoured this morning with uh, Lyle, a good friend of ours. He's running the AV at the back there now. Uh, he got up this morning in the first service and just said this is 10 years since he jo- joined our church. And he said to us, he gone around different churches, some great churches in the city, but here there's something about the connection and how people came up and um, invited him in and, and were friends to him, and he's here 10 years later. So that's a real uh, blessing to us to hear that sort of testimony. Do we always get it right? No, but we want to. And so I think for each of us who are in this family, we don't become little cliques. We actually look out for the person who's standing alone, looking a bit uh, out, and just especially if somebody's somewhere that you can relate to, get alongside them and say, hi, how's it going, and just make bridge with them. And that can make a real difference. But also if you're here and you know you feel unconnected, just really sometimes by joining a connect group, being involved in the surf team, just doing something, being involved, that will immediately give you links and connections that will be a blessing to you and a blessing to us as well. So it's a two-way thing, isn't it? Yeah. And we as a church need to look out and embrace people, accept, for who, accept them for who they are, but also people who are coming in need to be happy just to step out and to make the effort too. Yeah, or send us a note on a one card. We'll yeah. connect with you. Absolutely. Um, and, and, that's, and, that's, and, this, and it's tough for people out there because, you know, here in, uh, in this part of this church, I love what I love about this church. If you come here, we will, uh, we will get to know you. We want to connect with you. But at the same time, we do have people who have come here and nobody talked to them. Um, people have slipped through the, through, the, through the gaps, and I hear back later, and I'm devastated when I hear that. I think, I try, come there, no one spoke to me, and I'm devastated when I hear that. And and, and it does happen, you know, we try our best, as, even as a church, we, we do. Because we you can be part of a big whānau and still feel all alone, right? Because we are complex human beings, very complex. Um, and I, I, I always love sharing the story about when the pastor McCrusher shared about, he was praying for this person in their church, she was in her 40s and she's come up, she's crying. She said, I've been part of this church for 20 years and, and I've got no friends, all my friends have left everyone's gone. My son has just gone into prison. I've got no one to turn to. And the tragedy of the story is not the fact that she has no friends and because everyone had left, it's the fact that she didn't make any friends. And I understand that because, you know, when you, well, this, is, this year is 19 years for us being a part of this church. And in the 19 years that we've been here, we've had so many friends come and go. You make friends and they go. Make friends. You sow into people's lives and they go, it can be exhausting. And sometimes you can get to a point where you go, I don't want to make any more friends because every time I do, they leave. And this happens not just in church, but anywhere. And it's exhausting. And then we get to a point where we start thinking, well, I'm not even going to try. Could I just say that's a lie of the enemy? The enemy wants to isolate you and say you're better off on your own. You are not better off on your own. God didn't create us. He created us to be in community. He is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a community of love. And when God created you, He wanted to share His love. And He created us to be just with the image of Him, to be in community. And the enemy wants to separate you and isolate you, make you feel nobody cares. I'm better off on my own. That is a lie. And we have to be intentional. And we have to be intentional. I encourage you, if you're here and you've got no friends, be intentional. Don't let, don't let the enemy win. Because it's so easy for us to be part of this community and go home, have no friends. Which is why we encourage people to be part of a connect group. We're better together. Uh, we're going to make mistakes. Uh, you know, PJ said, you know, she, you know, we all have flaws. And uh, just speak to my kids and talk to, speak to my wife. They'll tell you all about it. Um, but you know what? This is why, you know, if you're looking for the perfect church, this isn't it. 
looking for the perfect pastors or elders. This isn't it. But I'm, I'm not saying this as an excuse. But what I'm saying is we want to be real. We will, we'll, we'll do all our best to connect. We love, with, love you and all we can. But we also ask, let's, it's two ways, right? Let's connect with one another. Reach out. You know, sometimes someone says to me, you know, not once did you call me. And I was thinking, did you know the phone works both ways? <laughs> you can call too. You know, this amazing thing about phones. I, was, I met my neighbor across the road. I said, this is the first time you ever crossed the road and spoke to me. I was thinking, you can cross the road and talk to me too. Why do we put it on the other person? Right? Why do we always put it on them? They never spoke to me. Sorry, I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But what I want to say is this. Listen. Yeah. Come on. Let, we're better together. That, that God loved you so much that he stepped into his creation and the fullness of Jesus, and he died on the cross for you. Not so that you can be all alone and isolated, but you can be part of his community, his whanau, God's whanau. We're part of his family. We are the church, not the building. We are the church. And it's full of people that, that are, have flaws. It's complex. But let's continue to grow together, have arguments, forgive one another, be gracious, let's love one another, and let's not stop connecting. Do all that we can to connect. Let's fight for connection and loving one another.